can you hear my dad? <laughs> no. I feel like everything is happening at once. Um, well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the podcast Imperfect. I'm Kara Bartek. And I'm Rebecca Nisko. We're so glad that you're joining us today. Uh, we have one of my good friends, Elizabeth Verklon. Uh, she's a cinematographer based in Brooklyn. And I just think has so many good things to say, especially about like creating opportunities for yourself and how to navigate mm-hmm. and network. Uh, the a network. Yeah. In a professional environment. So mm-hmm. yeah. We hope you enjoy. Hope you enjoy. That was one of the most streamlined intros we've ever done. That was pretty yeah. good. Like we got <laughs> it <good>. down. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to have you. We start every episode kind of the same. Could you please Mm -hmm. introduce yourself by saying your name, where you're based, and what your craft is? Yes, I'm Elizabeth Verklon. I'm a cinematographer, and I'm based in Brooklyn, New York. Yay! Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Like I said before, we've been friends for, oh my god, like I feel like it's been forever, but it's probably not been that long in the grand scheme of things, but... It's been like... I met you in 2018. I yeah, think. which is, <laughs> I can't believe yeah. it's already like three years ago almost. I know. Like in my head, it's still 2018 sometimes. <laughs> right? I agree. It's- I saw a, a meme like literally yesterday and it was like, do people realize in five months that 2020 will be two years ago? And I go, what? No, <laughs> no like, way. It's not okay. I like no. entered the pandemic at 20 and now I'm 22 and I'm like, this is fucking weird. It's so weird. It's so weird. Ugh. I, I don't know right? what to say. I, I like, I'm literally like frozen. Like, wait. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe. So I was, I was actually just thinking about this because, um, I know people who've traveled like to other places, you know, abroad or in far, like distant to California and like from New York. I mean, you know, throughout the U.S., which is obviously okay, um, as long as you travel safely. And I, I, it just seems so bizarre to me because. I think the furthest I've gone is to New York City and Long Island, like, and and I'm planning to go to the UK in like a month and a half, and I'm really really excited. But it just it feels so. Has it really been that long since we haven't been yeah. able to travel it's more so freely? Because even like right before I went away in May, I was like yeah. the furthest I've been in like a year was literally Connecticut. Like I went yeah. to Fairfield right before. Yeah. And then I was in like Florida really briefly. And then I had been to your place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was, I was like, this is so weird. I know, it really is. So anyway, we're not here to talk about travel like topics, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though we love to. I guess we'll start at the beginning. I feel like we always start at the beginning. <laughs> and we always say, <laughs> and we always say we're going to start at the beginning. <laughs> when I first was introduced to filmmaking, I thought mm-hmm. there was a director who told you where to go. And I knew there was a yeah. camera person, but I don't think I even like really considered what that meant. And then I knew yeah. there was an actor and I was like, cool. Uh, I guess I'll do directing. <laughs> so yeah. how did you start? Because you knew quite early on that you wanted to be a cinematographer yeah. as opposed to any of the other roles that are there. So mm-hmm. how did you get into cinematography? How was that introduced to you? How did you get to where you are now? Yeah, so I started out, like, I was very drawn to photography at a young age. One of my parents had recently been a photographer before I was born. So, like, they were always encouraging, like, taking photos all the time and, like, giving me a camera when I was really little. And I would, like, run around with that thing and just loved photographing everything. And then I also was, like, really into movies. And at some point they were, like, something had fallen through with, like, a summer camp I was supposed to go to. And like last minute like two weeks out they were like do you want to go to this like film camp thing and then like intern a few weeks with this like really small production company um that we know some people with and I was like yeah sure like and this is truly like no one started this production company it's like in an attic somewhere in Jacksonville Florida like it's (laughs) it was truly like very scrappy but I remember like getting there I was 15 Okay, okay um yeah and so I remember getting there and we were like working on the script for the first few days and I was like okay cool And I, it was a very distinct moment where like, they were like, okay, so like you can stay here and keep working on the script 
or you can go down the hallway and work with the cameras. And my mind immediately just was like, cameras. Mm. And like, that was the end of it. Like, I didn't even know what a DP was. I didn't understand the positions. I was just like, whatever it is that gets my hands on that camera, that's what I want to be doing. <laughs> um, and so from there, like the guy who was sort of in charge of the camera department there, he started like explaining to me what it all was and like what a cinematographer was. And I was like, I'm really into this. Like I just took to lighting and all of that very easily. And I was like, this is what I really want to do. Like, I never wanted to be in any other department. I've done sound and everything, but like, I was like, no, this is, this is it. Mm -hmm. um, and so he like sent me resources afterwards. And then I like went back the following summer and in between doing sets in high school and stuff, which was usually about like once a year, I would just spend all of my time reading resources online. And I remember being in high school and I would like stay up until like, three in the morning wow. just like laying in my bed watching cinematography database like breakdown um, <laughs> and do like lighting breakdowns of famous films and I was like oh this is so cool and I had like a subscription to American I didn't understand a word that American cinematographer was saying at that point I was I like don't. sewing over my head <laughs> but my theory on reading things is that go straight for like the text that is the heaviest and continue to repeatedly read it until you comprehend it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And yeah, so yeah. I just read American Cinematographer for like three years straight and was like, okay, I don't really understand this. And then as I got like deeper and deeper into the industry, I understood more of it to the point where I can read all of that and understand what all of those numbers in the tech specs mean. And I actually <laughs> want to go look at the tech specs and be like, oh, what did they shoot that on? Sure, sure. And oh, this is what they meant when they use this LUT and, you know, this and that, the other thing. And, <laughs> and then I eventually went to college for film um, and then ended up transferring two years in to go to NYU. And yeah, that's, and here we are. <laughs> wow. I, I think it's so, you know, I think for me, I was maybe 15 or 16 like you, but I had a friend who was older than me, one year older, who was looking to go to college the following year. And they were looking exclusively at schools in the UK for film. And I remember being like, wait, you can go to film school? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was like such a that was where I was at too. Like I originally wanted, this is the biggest joke, is like I wanted a philosophy degree. Wait, really? I didn't and know dad that. was like, there's <laughs> no way, absolutely no way you are getting a philosophy degree. You need a practical application of it. <laughs> and I was like, I like movies and they're kind of philosophical. And he's like, it's better than a philosophy degree. It's like, better than a philosophy degree. <laughs> as long as degree you can do it <laughs> no offense to any philosophy majors that are out there <laughs> listen philosophy is hard as heck I could never do it yeah, yeah. but I understand so... your dad's worries <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time, like I think he was kind of right like it is a weird way of like practically externalizing philosophy in mm -hmm. certain senses depending mm -hmm. on like what types of films you're making right totally like I mean just like, I, yeah I mean, think about like, you know, say you do something like a clockwork orange or clockwork mm -hmm. orange, or then you go to something like enter the void or you do something mm -hmm. like totally different, like a Marvel movie. I mean, you know, they, yeah. they aren't enter the void and clockwork orange might be more philosophically related, but one is more of like an allegory and one is more of actually a philosophical concept, spiritual yeah. concept that you're diving into versus like, this is what a traditional movie movie box office movie hit rather I should mm -hmm, say mm -hmm. exactly so for sure yeah 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 well cool groovy yeah. <laughs> I also love that you said that film was more practical because in my <laughs> mind <laughs> it is but to so many people I know Kara and I have experiences we've you know outside of our family have encountered people who think like <laughs> the arts are not practical at all <laughs> so I'm really glad that you know you had that support as well as did Kara yeah. and I so yeah, I was definitely. very lucky with that. Just from talking to you in previous conversations, because mm -hmm. Elizabeth and I are pretty good friends. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say so. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> We've talked a lot about how important the image was to you in order to communicate what you were seeing. So I was wondering if you would mind sharing a little bit about that, like why photography and cinematography, why you gravitate towards that. Yeah. And what is it about that medium or those mediums and spe specifically? Mm -hmm. Well, I think... 
for me personally, like throughout my life, I find that the way I process emotion is through like visual emotional containers, if that makes mm-hmm, sense. Mm-hmm. So like movies gave me a very cathartic release and there was something about visuals mm-hmm. that like you can feel certain things when you look at certain images. And my memories like very much sit in what I was seeing in a space and like kind of at that point of emotionally detached from whatever happened. So like I was talking about this um, with one of our mutual friends recently of like the fact that like, like I don't have a lot of emotional memories of one of my first relationships, but like what I remember so vividly is like the way the lights looked in the valley behind this like Mm -hmm. chain link fence and the way the, you know, sodium vapor street light would like glare off the windshield and like Mm -hmm. stuff like that. That is like what those memories come back to me as. And it's not, like I struggle to visualize things in my head, which I think is very odd for people to hear, especially as like a cinematographer. Like I'm not visualizing a lot of stuff. It's usually just like blobs of color that kind of come back, but there's this sensation of what those certain like colors and lights feel like. And I've always been like very particularly sensitive to light. Like, you know, this about me, like in my house, like I had to like take out all the fluorescents because they like genuinely like stress me out. <laughs> yeah, that's, I understand. Soft light everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> for me, like when I was younger, I remember trying to like explain to people sort of like how I was seeing the world and like words never really cut it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the ability to like capture what I was seeing in a situation and capture what I was feeling about a situation mm-hmm. or a person in a way that I never felt capable or allowed to vocally express to mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. was very necessary to me because I felt like there's this like you're never seeing something with an identical perspective to someone Mm -hmm. it's always filtered through their own life experiences and their own perception of a person but I felt like in the way that you can light and shift a face there's really something to like showing people in the light that you see them at a time that Mm -hmm. is like very much a benchmark thing for me so I have like Mm -hmm. photographs of people at different times in my life that like I look back and I'm like I don't see that person the same way anymore, but it's really important to me that like I see in that moment, like how I perceive them and how I perceive myself and that dynamic and like, yeah, if that makes I think sense. That's, totally. I think it's so interesting that mm-hmm. you use images to convey those emotions versus say words or something like that and how I think of your imagery and I think it's very clear what the intention is behind them, especially in your photography um, and with your cinematography work where there is a director behind it, I still see you very clearly in your work. And I think that's very apparent if you check out Elizabeth's reel or the, the films that she's shot. But you've talked about lighting quite a bit. And I know how important lighting is because of the work that I do. And I schedule for a lot of time for lighting. <laughs> but <I> deeply appreciate it. <laughs> Could you explain that a little bit more, pick that apart or what lighting means to you and how you use it in your work? I don't know how many people necessarily know how integral or important it is to Yeah, well, it's hilarious because I didn't know when I started out like how important lighting was. Like Mm -hmm. I very much, the first place I went to school kind of like they thought that like gaffing was kind of the person who was like lighting everything and in Mm -hmm. charge of like structuring the way something is lit which is really the dp's job and it's quite hilarious because i had people tell me they're like maybe you should just be a gaffer because you're really drawn to lighting but you can't pull focus well and i was like that doesn't make sense (laughs) just everybody knows there's a position dedicated on set to pulling focus (laughs) and it's not the director of photography it's someone called the ac very important (laughs) exactly um and so there was always like lighting is truly the most important part of cinematography and I think it's really undersold these days particularly because we have like it's not so much of a technical skill anymore like anyone Mm. can make a pretty picture it is really the capability to like light and shape someone's perspective and understand Mm. how that works Mm -hmm. particularly emotionally that is what kind of distinguishes dps from each other do you have any do you have any like examples of who you think is a a DP that uses lighting effectively that you are inspired by? I feel like, I mean, obviously everyone talks about how like Roger Deakins uses lighting, which is always like the thing, but I feel like um, Natasha Breyer, I think Mm -hmm. uses light in a really interesting way. Mm -hmm. Um, Also Reed Murano, obviously. um, 
Marcel Rev recently mm-hmm. he blew up sort of people knowing who he was because of Euphoria and his mm-hmm. way of using light is very very unique mm-hmm. um and it's something I'm very drawn to I'm trying to think like I the problem when is you, that when I, you say like, okay so let's sorry for example mm-hmm. for your for the last example that you mentioned like what do you mean when you say like a uses light in a unique way like what about I think it he are uses you drawn it in a much to? more theatrical way so sure, there's okay there's sort of this split that's in film right now where there's people who go towards a very like documentarian style mm-hmm. and there's people who are shooting like very theatrically and then kind of a blend in between. And I think a lot of people are starting to move between that more, but I find that Marcel's way of using light is like incredibly theatrical and surreal and it's all about cues and how it shifts with the camera and it's never quite it's more about the feeling that light evokes in a space than trying to create something as like naturalistic as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that that also sort of shifts into like how you see the world too, because sure, yeah. in a sense, there's a certain, like I can look at my early work and I can see like my lighting skills were not as strong, but I look at that and it's very gray and it's very dull and it's very cold. And it's, it's honestly cagey. Like there's literally mm-hmm. like, shots from my very early work of like people being behind bars like it's incredibly cagey and dark and that very much reflected my worldview at that point where it was like everything kind of looked dull and the light didn't look that bright and you know colors weren't as vibrant and then you start to see I started to shift with that yeah Um, and I see that with a Sorry, Sorry, I do to cut you off. No, no, no. But I was just thinking immediately of most recently. I mean, not most, but most recently. But recently, you shot Julia Gargano's video, and I think about like the shot from that whole thing is the 360 shot that we worked on, and that was that is so filled and saturated with color, and it's yeah, yeah. and it's very much shifted, and that's what I really like about like being able to see my work grow is like I can see myself grow as a person within that and see where like my worldview is shifted and where I've grown with that and how I see the world differently and like when I walk outside like it's I think the interesting thing is to like walk around and try to see your life like a movie Mm -hmm. especially with light like the I am the type of like I feel like people don't believe this until they see me do it um but I'll like sit with people and I'll be like oh my god the way that that street light is like reflecting off of this and that is like glowing through this leaf over here and doesn't it look so cool and that's like what I like to sit and look around at at life mm. and I think you can see that in people's work of that sort of like vantage point and even when you start to look for life sort of being like surreal and vibrant like that it's very interesting to see what pops up like I remember walking through Prospect Park one day and I walked by and there's this like tall ginger man like sitting on a park bench like reading a play and like right as I walked by him the like street lights kicked on and like that like backlit his hair and I was like oh what is this (laughs) rom-com that's happening right now this is not reality you know no awesome sorry I kind of went on a tangent I don't know where I was going you asked about DPs and the (laughs) importance of lighting but yeah that's the importance of lighting the emotion that it evokes out of it um I remember a gaffer saying to me once like without us it's radio theater (laughs) that's awesome that's a really great Yeah. yeah 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 I like that I like that a lot yeah yeah, yeah. Like and so if you like don't turn on lights or like shape it you're really losing this whole level of intent behind mm-hmm. how someone's like face is shaped and shown um, or how you perceive a character yeah. and all of that for everyone at home if you don't quite understand what we're talking about because I know it can be kind of technical just take your iPhone and stand in front of a mirror and hold your with your flashlight on and just hold it at different points of your face and you'll see how it changes in the mirror. I think it's a cool exercise just to try. Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of YouTube videos online that show oh, yeah. that. There's like the famous one of like the light going around. Um, <laughs> like yeah. that one was like, I remember watching that like so mesmerized in high school. I was like, mm-hmm. oh. like I would just loop it over and over again. I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we talked about this a, f- to a couple episodes, I think when we had Martina on the show. Oh, yeah. um, and I was, I said, I don't think, like the general public realize how intentional everything is about film like yeah everything is so carefully thought out and I like lighting is something I never would have considered before studying you know film and talking to you guys and learning from Kara and you know it is and it's so amazing like how how it is an art and 
<laughs> like it is literally <laughs> art. I'm curious to know, like, especially in outdoor shoots, you know, when daylight or moonlight is a factor mm-hmm. and, you know, it could be so unpredictable. Do you play with that unpredictability or do you really wait for like the perfect shot? I'm very much at the point in my career where I have to play with unpredictability and I don't have a lot of resources on outdoor shoots mm-hmm. that I've done so far. But also at the same time, I think that's very representative of my style too, though, where I approach a situation with a plan and an intent, but also at the mm-hmm. same time, I am completely prepared to throw that out the window and do whatever we have to do yeah. to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. Yeah. And it's also, I think about like a huge part of my job to me is like showing up and like meeting things where they're at mm-hmm. and there can be a plan of how everything is a hope to have gone. But if I get into that space and what we've been talking about with the director is just like not working with the space, not working with the actor, not working with the sort of emotional energy that's in the space at the time, then we pivot that and we shift mm-hmm. that and, you know, colors change or the way the light is, or we're running out of light. So I might like push my settings more than I had initially planned on to make that work and just kind of flow with what's going on in the moment. Mm-hmm. I find is very important to the way that I like to shoot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Since you just brought up the director, like what you guys have talked about didn't really work out on set. How might you navigate a situation where um, there's either a misunderstanding of what both of uh, what, like between what the setup had been, or there is maybe tension because of, I don't know, just film yeah. sets in general <laughs> or like, how yeah, you, exactly. it's kind of a two part. How might you navigate that in the moment on set? And how do you navigate difficult relationships prior to set? And like, I feel like it's a constant learning experience with that. Sure. Yeah. Um, Everyone's always kind of learning through those dynamics, and it really just depends on the person that you're engaging with at the time. Mm -hmm. I really try to approach everything where I want to make sure I'm on the same page with the director at all times. And Mm -hmm. I'm very much the type of person that, like, I will go into meetings and I'm like, look, I will just throw anything at the wall and you can say no like you know they are usually coming to me with like some start of a framework of what they're looking for visually and then I'll kind of jump off of that and be like is it more this and being very much on the same page getting into things and like really talking to a director about like what they want out of something Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think really has prevented issues of like miscommunication Mm -hmm. on set with what we're going for because I've never particularly had an I can't think of any experiences that I've had where like I've gotten on set with a director actually there was one but we able we were able to kind of figure it out where it was like I didn't fully understand where he was going with the direction of a certain like production design or something and then I got there and I was like okay I understand we're like Mm -hmm. going a little more and it can't be energy than I expected and then we just pivot and adjust for that. But I also was mm-hmm. like, I spent a lot of time like making lookbooks and revising lookbooks with a director to have a like visual and emotional framework that we are yeah. completely on the same page on, yeah. which helps me once we're on set that if we're having to make these pivots, there's not, we're not getting into conversations of like, well, that's not what I was looking for. Or sure, that's not sure. what I wanted out of this. Mm-hmm. And then as far as like difficult, relationships to navigate I think the biggest thing is like just understanding that like none of it is personal like literally none of it is personal and being able to understand that like when someone's getting frustrated about with you about you not understanding that like it's a very emotionally personal thing and so I try to just kind of like take a step back whenever there's sort of like a Mm -hmm. scuffle happening with the director sometimes because it's really the biggest thing that I always have to understand with a director is that like, this is their baby. This is their child. And I am the nanny. I'm the nanny. Yeah. I'm like, you know, it is my job to like help guide that child in the right. direction that they want to, but it is not my decision what direction the child is going in. Right. And it is very 
and like directors never want to talk about it, but it's always super personal. Like it's your work, you know, it's something you care about. You're seeing something of yourself in there that you want to put out into the world consciously or unconsciously. And that I think leads to a lot of the like sort of notorious emotional flare-ups of like directors that you hear about because they're just not hearing their, like having their voice heard, they feel like at certain points. And also I've had situations where I just realized that there were people I was working with that like we were never going to have a similar communication Mm -hmm. style. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, like you just kind of have to understand like, okay, this is like not a dynamic that's going to be productive for either of us. And that's like, you know, nothing off me. Like I'm not everyone's cup of tea. I'm totally fine with that. But it's really important to me to be able to have those conversations and also prepare ahead of time by like getting on the same page about everything. And this drives directors nuts sometimes, but like, I'll ask them why about everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I need to know exactly why and I will continue to ask why until I get to the root of what it is. Yeah, right, 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 right. Because, and it's it's usually if I'm like, you know, maybe this might work, but mm. I'm not going to push that on you. I just, if I'm going to do something, I do also like want to understand what your thought process is behind it because right. it's important to be so intentional behind things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to hear that like, not every relationship is always perfect, especially in fields like ours where there's this misconception of, oh, it's all fun all the time or it's all stress yeah. all the time. I think it's important to like... Yeah, and not every relationship has to be personal. I right. think like I was in the mindset at one point where I was like, oh, I want to be friends with every single collab- like collaborator I work with. Yeah. And I have very good relationships with them, but you know, it's not realistic to be friends with everyone you work with. <laughs> You might not want to be friends with everyone you work with, you know? And I'm I'm really glad that you shared that. I'm so interested to hear, like, that you recognize that the dynamics on set aren't always, like, you know, ha- like perfect all the time. Like, so oh, many yeah. times I have friends saying, oh, my God, that was such an emotional, like, weekend. It was an, like, emotional, yeah, like, Kara, yeah. emotional day on set. It's it's so, such a personal bond you are sharing with people like I, I've never experienced it so I'm like talking out of my ass but, like, <laughs> but you're right yeah but no, it seems totally to right. me like I feel like any art collaborative art form can can relate to that mm-hmm. that when you're doing something in a short period of time or a long period of time you know there's so many emotions running around not everyone's gonna be in agreement especially when there are so many people involved who have important key roles so yeah I'm glad it's you brought definitely... light to that It's definitely interesting. And like you said, it's a very like emotionally exhausting thing. And I wish people talked about that more because a huge part of being a good DP, I feel like, is the capability to hold emotional space for what the director is experiencing. Like they are ultimately your priority. And then you have a crew that is your responsibility. And it's very tricky sometimes when you're going through a production And a lot of people talk about like how your personal life suffers and stuff when you're in film a lot of the time. There's definitely a way for it to not, but like when you're starting out, it always kind of does because the hours and everything. But it is a lot to like maintain personal relationships outside of where you're having to go to work and like not only just do physical labor, Mm -hmm. but hold emotional space for someone's experience, which like sometimes is incredibly sensitive depending on what topic you're dealing with. And like truly... I've gone into shoots before, like, when I was very young and also, like, unaware of just, like, what I was able to deal with. But, like, you're encountering parts of yourself when you're making something that you might not want to deal with at a certain period of time. And so, like, my policy Mm -hmm. is I never take material that I have not gotten to a certain degree of, like, healing with if I have it Mm -hmm. as something that has, like, happened in my own life. Like, Mm -hmm. I have had, like... I've genuinely turned down projects because I'm like, I'm not emotionally capable of dealing with that experience in an art form right now. Mm -hmm. And I've done (laughs) stuff where I've like gone into stuff that I wasn't ready to deal with. And it resulted in just a lot of mental turmoil. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, I recognize that in the fact that like, you have to have a lot of empathy for the people you're dealing with. It's not the Mm -hmm. best side of them. It's not the normal side of them. The rest of the world sees it's like, I always joke, like you usually see the worst of people after you've done an 18 hour shift with them. Like it is a lot, (laughs) but also just realizing that like, that's not fully who that person is. And that's not fully who you are, which I think takes a while to like learn and get used to. Yeah. Do do you think there's going to be a shift in film now that after COVID 
to maybe combat like burnout definitely there's a lot of push especially like in the unions have been pushing for it for a long time but people are really getting to a point where they're like fed up with it and they're like we need to be doing 10 hour days at least right um because it just takes you away from so much of life and I also think the work suffers as a result yeah because like well you know full (laughs) that like like when we went into COVID I was like truly just absolutely Mm. nonstop on shoots and that not only like made my life suffer but also made my work suffer a lot because I wasn't able to grow in other elements of my life that really helped me channel back into my art and my work and help it grow and like I was saying like it's become brighter and more vibrant over time because I'm not sort of in the headspace of just like being constantly bombarded with like shoot to shoot to shoot to class to this mm-hmm. to blah, blah blah you know and that gives you the space to process more through what you're working on and also just like it's not safe <laughs> like that's yeah. the biggest thing is like it's not safe it's burning people out it you see so many people just like getting random injuries or yeah. burnout and there's terrible stories of like I don't know if you're familiar with Road to Perdition um, I love that film. Yeah, I love the score. Film. Gorgeous <laughs> film, but it's known as like the film that killed that cinematographer because oh. the hours that they were working on that, he was pretty old. And like by the end of it, it was that what that production had done on him on his body that ended up wow. eventually being his demise. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's it's so interesting how these past few decades we've gotten so comfortable with pushing ourselves to the absolute limit and like how yeah. that is the norm, not just in the arts and what used to be in nine every, to five jobs, yeah, you know, every, like, yeah. you know, yeah. back then people used to work from nine to five, come home, hang out with their family, have dinner, go to bed, mm-hmm. wake up, you know, that well, you physically like, couldn't, that, unless you had that person's oh, yeah. home phone number, you literally could not reach them. Yeah, You're right. And <laughs> it's it's become so normal to push ourselves to the limit. Like her and I were just talking about this recently. Of like, I think it's really important to just realize like your career can take you wherever you want it to take you. Um, yeah. like I mean, there's obviously like limits and stuff, but it's really about like what footwork you put in and who you're talking to and what spaces you choose to be in. Mm. Because, like, I even remember when I first got to NYU, um, a friend of Karen I's had said to me, he was like, you've done more in four months at this school than I have seen people do in four years at this school because you are out every weekend going to some mixer with people and going to some rental house and talking to someone and grabbing coffee with, you know, someone you met off Instagram. And, like, that was very much what I spent my time in school doing and I think that was the most valuable thing I did because I kind of came out of school and actually was able to take a breather when COVID hit because I wasn't like scrambling in that work or all that I was like I have my connections like when start stuff starts back up like I can go back and do what I need to do you know it's not this rush of like oh no I wasn't preparing to like be in the industry that I was trying to get into because I was already kind of moving around that space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Networking is important and it doesn't like it never like, yeah, it's, it's not like turning it on and just like using it. It's kind of like uh, mm-hmm. try to make the most of networking when you can at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. While still being genuine. <laughs> I feel like yeah. and that was like some of the worst advice I ever got from like a professor or a visiting like, you know, guest speaker or something was like, always network but always be genuine you know and I was like I was like what the hell are you talking about I feel like that's so like people do such a bad job at explaining it um and I've been told by multiple people that I'm like a very naturally good networker Mm -hmm. which I think is hilarious because the first like proper networking event that I ever went to was like the ASC open house and I genuinely like hid behind my friend and made them approach people for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like I can't do this um but the American really Society like, of Cinematographers, ASC. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the biggest thing about networking is to, like, have no motive. Like, mm-hmm. that is what makes it genuine. You cannot go into a networking situation with a motive. Yeah. It is simply about, oh, hi, who are you? Tell me about yourself. Like, that is what genuine networking it is. Yeah. What makes it disingenuine is, like, I've met so many people that are, like, 
okay, so I've like scattered out this person and I think that like blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yes, you need to know things about people when you're talking to them. But like, if you come to someone with like a target on their back, like you can get me this thing, that's not going to be a beneficial relationship. Right. Whereas like my most beneficial relationships that I've had as far as like mentors or like people that have come back to me from like working for them as a grip and then hired me as a DP later on is like, that was just me being genuine and being like, hey, you're a cool person. I want to hear about your work. And then like maybe two years later, they hired me. But that was two years of talking to that person and developing a relationship and keeping in touch with them and be like, hey, I think your work's really awesome. And I'd love to hear more about how you did that. And, you know, what was it like for you when you were 18 and just getting into this? And, you know, you gain so much from those conversations and especially just open-endingly just saying to someone like what did you wish you knew at my age or like what was it like for you when you were my age and like how Mm -hmm. did you navigate that in this like weird period and people will just I mean truly spill their guts like (laughs) you know um and it's like that I feel like has been one of the biggest helps in my career is that I was completely prepared for what I was going into because every time I've made a next step I have had mentors who were five to six to seven to ten steps ahead of me mm-hmm. explaining to me this is what you need to get ready for this is what these relationships are like this is yeah. what it's like when like and you know I have mentors that I went to when I like we talked before about like uh personal dynamics on set and it was really helpful for me when I was younger to have people that were, you know, 10 years, my predecessor to say like, Hey, I'm going through this, like really just like mucky situation professionally and personally with this person. Can I just call you and like ask you about it and just like, see how you would approach that situation or like, what is a way to kind of like split my ego from what's going on? and because it's a very big thing about you to you to split your ego from everything like it's just like it is not about you and like getting over the fact that like okay like I really wanted this out of this but that's not what's happening and here's how I need to adjust in a way that is both like humane and in the best interest of the project and also just understanding at a certain point like you don't know what's best like yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I love I love that you bring up this idea of our mentors are people that we look up to because I because I they are quite important I think especially for younger creatives mm-hmm. like trying to navigate life after a whole life of just school is hard enough and it's everything you've talked about so eloquently so far is just how to navigate that conversation and and, and not be afraid to also ask you know I, I want to point that out too because you're oh, right yeah. people will like are happy it's to truly, talk to you yeah yeah I really had to get over that where like I have absolutely no shame approaching someone and asking them for a window into their experience Mm -hmm. like and if they say no they say no like my I got to a point when I was like like 18 I had to write a paper for this class and we were like supposed to talk to cinematographers or we were we were basically supposed to talk to like people in our industry and I'd asked an instructor like hey could you get me in touch with some DPs and he was like yeah sure and then it was like a week out for the paper due and like no one had he didn't talk to anyone and I just literally went through Instagram (laughs) and found DPs I admired and I saw if they had a personal email address on their Instagram account and I just sent them emails and I was like hey I'm writing a paper I got some questions about what you do can I send you a list of questions or can I meet with you for coffee and I think I sent like probably like 23 emails and got like 15 back sure yeah and I'm still friends with quite a few of the people that's awesome that I emailed like years later and they're still very like I just talked to one of them last yeah, week you know awesome. and it's really important to just kind of get to a point where you're like have no shame in yeah. asking for guidance for your art like you don't want to yeah. exploit someone but there's also the same thing where it's like if you need a favor from someone like hey can you help me out with this yeah. piece of equipment thing I don't understand discount on a rental just ask mm-hmm. like just ask it really it never and, hurts but yeah. also yeah. take no like when people say no that's I think the big thing is like don't push just ask don't push yeah. right like yeah so many good insights Elizabeth <laughs> so yeah like, truly. I think especially for 
all of us really, you know, especially after this last year where maybe we don't have that confidence anymore because we've been isolated or we've been not working because we've had to do something else in order to like get over this year. It, I think everything that you speak about still holds true and rings true. And yeah, I think just really, really insightful. Yeah. I think just kind of like, these are kind of like clickbaity kind of questions, but I would be curious <laughs> to hear what you think. The first one is, does gear matter? And the second one is New York or, L- or LA. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Um, so I personally am of the opinion that gear both matters and does not. Like mm-hmm. I definitely have the tools that I prefer and that are necessary to do certain things. Like there is certain stuff that you just can't pull off without certain gear. Right. But also at the same time, I came up as a little baby gorilla filmmaker who will gaff tape anything to make it work. And that is not that. exactly my favorite approach, but sure. also at the same time, like anything to get what you need to get. And additionally, I think the other thing is, is I'm very glad that like I shot on equipment that like wasn't that great for a while because it wasn't like, I was never questioning if it was the camera that was making it look that way. It was all about like, oh, I need to like outlight the camera, <laughs> you know? And so I think it's really important also to like not start directly on like big cinema cameras, because if you're just running around with a big cinema camera and a perfect package from the get go, you're not actually learning how to properly problem solve the issues and you're never going to have everything that you need. Right. But also I think it's, it doesn't really matter as much in kind of the world we're living in right now, where it's Mm -hmm. like we have gotten to a point where our, image quality is so high and Mm -hmm. so like radically realistic and people are tired of seeing it because it's too real you know if that makes sense um and so there's depending on the narrative like you can work with a scrappier piece of equipment and really lean into the fact that it's imperfect and that it's giving you noise or it's grainier because that is what I feel like a lot of our generation is chasing like we see everyone like filtering and editing photos to like make them vintage and like wanting to go back Mm -hmm. to like you know camcorder style and stuff like that because like my personal opinion about why that is is that it gives us a greater the term I've heard used for is like aesthetic distance Mm -hmm. Um, because there's enough aesthetics and design around what's going on that it kind of gives us at least a bit of a buffer Mm -hmm. between the visceral reality of what's going on and that I think also can be seen a lot in our world where like you know black and white photographs were shown certain things in black and white photographs that give it a further time distance to us than it actually is and makes it feel less real and less impending yeah and so I think that we're just kind of in a space right now where it's like whatever your narrative is like go with the gear that is right for the narrative and if your budget can't match that then like pivot and work with something else you know like strangers we really wanted to shoot on 16 um we didn't have the budget for 16 we shot on digital um feet stuff that was supposed to be an alexa that fell through the day before and we shot an ursa mini right you know um i've done I did stuff like two years ago that was like a little A7S with with my AC sunglasses taped to the front of it because we didn't have, (laughs) you know, a A filter. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah. So it's really about like the intent more than it is about the gear. Like if your intent is coming clearly through and you can see what you need to see, then you're fine. Like, love that. Yeah. That makes me think about the origins of drama if you will and how was it Plato no Aristotle Aristotle says that watching a play it's cathartic it's like this catharsis watching something unfold is catharsis Mm -hmm. and you think about Greek dramas and you think they're these over-the-top things you're never going to see death Mm -hmm. but you will see someone dramatically like confront the hubristic protagonist or the or their demons and that even becomes like Shakespearean like over the top Mm -hmm. but you're it it, it lends itself to what you said. It's just like that distance and being yeah. able to then process a narrative and maybe not feel like it's too real, like you're saying, and you can actually mm-hmm. look at it and maybe apply it to your own life because there is that distance. Yeah. So and also I think 
that it helps like this is what I was talking about earlier with like images being emotional containers for me yeah yeah yeah. I think it's also a big thing where like I got a lot of catharsis and like watching things that were very similar to my experience that gave me a like finite space to like release that yeah and then work through that at a time when like I wasn't emotionally mature enough to work yeah. through it in a different yeah. way yeah. but it gave that relief and that sort of yeah. escape and release of seeing my own experiences in a different character you know mm. but yes you also asked about New York versus yes. LA <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like a little finish up like, so it's definitely very controversial honestly I think it's per person I it broke my heart when I decided to go into film and I was like I have to move to LA now and I'm not going to be able to live in New York and I was so upset about it I was like I don't want to live in California (laughs) and then I went and lived in California for two years and for me personally like it's it's just not my vibe um Mm. there is something about like me in California that like I can definitely like I go and do like brief jobs out there and I love like going on seeing people I know there for very brief periods like like anything past two months and I'm like I gotta get out um (laughs) and it's also like this is gonna sound like the weirdest thing the way the sun tracks in LA stresses me out the like directness of the light and the way it moves it's just too much for me on the other hand I love New York I love the pace of it I love just the northeast in general I always really liked it up here so yeah I've been very happy in New York I think it gives me that like intellectual and artistic vibrance that I really like to have around me because like in New York it's a lot less about like from my understanding of LA there's a lot of like social things going on whereas like why I'm very interested in is like I love going to film screenings in New York or like to museums or I was just at like a gallery opening last week for this Mm -hmm. like you know small collection of um what is it Genesius Peorge's work Oh, cool. Like, you wouldn't find that anywhere else. It was like a little hole in the wall on Henry Mm -hmm. Street. And it was so cool to just go there and, like, be in that space with, like, just such different people. And um, the walkability of it is really important to me. Just the experiences you have on the street, like, walking around and meeting people and talking to them. And, like, just the stories behind New York. Like, that also just, like, really feeds my artistic life so well. Um, And being able to, like, go see artists perform but then also at the same time it's simple stuff like I had an uber driver pick me up from my place one time and the second I got in the car he was like oh my gosh like I grew up in this building and I was just like sitting down the road like reminiscing after I dropped someone off and like it was in the 70s and we would just like run around through the stairwells and like play manhunt with the kids in the building and you know even still now like my building's still like that like there's kids that run around the building and play and like before COVID there was like a little boy never met him in my life but the elevator like I've met him twice at this point every time the elevator door opens and he sees me he comes running up to me hugs my life and goes hi how are you and like you know those just like genuine very humane interactions like I heard someone once say like being in New York is humanizing and that's something that's like so important to me about it is that like I feel like LA was very dehumanizing to me but there is something about being in New York and also the sort of like like New Yorkers are there for people like when they really need it and you see that like like very genuine kindness between people underneath the surface of it all that I don't think you find in a lot of other places even though people are like very brash on the surface and kind of like moving along with what they need to do but yeah it's I adore the city (laughs) yeah I've had some of the kindest things happen to to me from strangers in New York like my car tire blew out somebody helped me complete stranger I was crying Mm -hmm. on the phone with my dad oh my gosh yeah Yeah. just like this guy just yeah (laughs) when my tires got flashed later New York anyway, that's so a whole great. other story. Yeah. But yes, <laughs> I, I agree with you. It is very humanizing. Elizabeth, thank you so, so much for coming thank on the you show. So much. Yep. It's been it's been really just like lovely talking and just getting a little bit more of a pointed insight into your artistic process. If you don't mind, we would like for you to sign off by saying again your name and where we can find you on all things social. Yeah. And don't forget so- your website. <laughs> oh yeah i'm elizabeth Ferklon, um and you can find me on social media by the same name um i'm on instagram it's v-r-k-l-j-a-n the same thing with my website elizabethferklon.com 
Perfect. Amazing. Um, well, thank and you we'll so link much. it below. Yeah, we'll definitely link it below. I don't know why we always like finger point because the only <laughs> other person that it matters to will not like no one's gonna see. <laughs> so, the, the YouTube subscribe, hit that like button, yeah. turn the little bell on, yeah, and <laughs> get notified whenever we upload. Um, Please I, donate to my Patreon so we can. Keep yes, it. yes. Although Rebecca and I do want to start a Patreon, so when that comes around, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> well thank you elizabeth so much thank you so much for being here and i've been talking about having them on the show for so so long and i'm finally i'm just so happy that it finally happened um make sure to check her out on all things social at elizabeth Ferklin. well the name is a little bit complicated so we'll, we'll definitely include <laughs> it in the uh in the in the description box and yeah check out check out their work it's so good their reels on their website so just yeah have fun with it and if you ever just, need someone yeah it's, it's go out there and yeah. just network and, and network yeah and do what you can and keep watching out and we'll be promoting more of her work on our instagram as well so yeah yeah if you want thanks for tuning in yeah thanks for tuning in uh if you're wondering where you can find us you can find the you can follow us on instagram at the podcast imperfect if you are a featured artist and would like to be on the show you can write us an email or send us a dm at the podcast imperfect at gmail.com and you can find me kara what why do i always do that <laughs> <laughs> love it uh, and you can find me at quiet open space on instagram all one word and you can find me at rebecca nisco music on instagram yeah perfect um i just yeah i hope you guys are all staying cool and yeah having a nice summer i guess this is coming out at the end of july right something like that yeah yeah crazy so, i know it's july today's july 1st wow we've been yeah. doing this for three months today i know isn't that insane isn't that awesome yeah i i feel so i think it's so great i think it's great that yeah yeah it's it's cool and i can't wait i, I just i don't know yeah it. this I'm is really our 11th happy. episode it, i know it just makes me so happy that we're doing this together yeah, yeah. i love that for us and thank you for everybody who's listening and yeah coming yeah. along for the ride and yeah we have have a great day have a great day <laughs> or evening or morning or whatever Cool. Awesome. All right. I'm going to stop yeah. recording. Yeah. <laughs>